kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Jesus again says to us that the kingdom of God is worth everything that we have. It's not just worth more than anything else that we have, but it is worth everything that we have. We're to let go of all else in order to take hold of it. The man with the treasure, the merchant with the pearl, both in finding this thing of surpassing worth, sell everything that they have in order to have that one. And quite interesting to have this set alongside of the story of Solomon and his dream today. Puts it in a little bit different light. We have Solomon who prays before God and goes to sleep and has his dream in which the Lord basically opens up the treasuries. What is it that you want of me, Solomon? You may have anything. And Solomon says, the one thing that I want is that I might have wisdom, that I might have that understanding mind, as it came out in our translation today. And in taking hold of that, when the Lord responds to that in him, we're reminded of what he put aside to make that request, that he wasn't asking for all the things that you think of first. If I said, well, what would you do if you were the ruler if you had absolute power and you begin to think about the things that you might have, that wealth, the power to do whatever you want, the status that goes with that, the reputation. Solomon puts all of that aside. He humbles himself before God, saying, Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people. It's not just that he wants wisdom so that people will come far and wide to see him. He wants this gift that he might care for the people God has given him, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this great people of yours? The word that's translated as mind for us is actually the Hebrew word that normally would be rendered heart, leib. Um, again, in the ancient world, heart is not what we tend to think of that seat of the feelings and the emotions, it's really the center of the person. It's where one is, is rooted and grounded. It's the focus of the life. So it's actually bound up with the will as well, what you value. And the word that modifies it there, the understanding heart, is one that I'm sure you'll recognize because I've talked about it before, unless you turned off at that point, but um, the word shama which is the verb you'll say right away, the verb to hear. But you might also remember that in talking about it as the verb to hear, so we think of the Shema, we think of that Shema Israel, Adonai Elohenu, Adonai Echad, the hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's the beginning part of the first and greatest of the commandments. That's the verb Shema, Shema in that. Um, but it also carries, as I've talked about before, that sense of to obey as well. If you really hear God's word, it compels that obedience. If you've really heard, you do respond. And so when Solomon asks for that 
understanding heart. He's asking for a, a heart that attends to God's word, that truly hears that word, is focused on it, obeys. And if you think about it, what else is he asking but that he might have the heart of the kingdom? Because it's the heart of the king. And in that, it's interesting, at this stage in Solomon's life, he's got the sense that even though he's the king over all Israel, even though in the days to come, the kingdom will be expanded under him, he is yet, though an earthly king, yet a steward of a heavenly kingdom. God is the true king of his people. So the steward is the one who looks after that rule for the king as he is about other business, but it rightfully belongs to him. It's yielded up to him. And that's very much the sense of Solomon at this stage, focused on God's kingdom. Of course, we know that the sad thing about following Solomon's story through is that in the years to come, he will get those priorities turned about that he will get caught up more and more with the things of this world, with wisdom as his gift that others come to see him about, with the power, with the wealth, with his reputation. And by the end of his life, he has actually lost God. He's lost the treasure of the kingdom. He's lost the focus of his life. The way of God's kingdom is always set before us as that that costly way, that way that takes a great deal of our energies to find and to lay hold of. And yet one of the other things that Scripture makes clear as we go through the whole story of it is that it in fact is what we were created for in the first place, that we were made for the kingdom of God. We were made to live as sons and daughters of God. We were made for life. The heart of the kingdom is eternal life, and that's what we were created for in the beginning. The morals, the ethics, the priorities of God's law, what come to be that clear teaching of the church regarded by the world regularly as an imposition on us, a restriction of our freedoms, is yet that which points us back to what we were created to be, the way of life, a life that is not simply in this world, not bound up simply with the things of this world, but with eternity and eternal life. So we can go back into the garden again and remember that it's sin that separates us from God, that gets us off target, so we lose sight of that treasure. It's not just that we lose the treasure, but we lose sight of it. It's a hidden thing to us. As Adam and Eve go out of the garden... The tree of life is withheld. And yet we know that at the end of the story in God's promise in the heavenly city, that tree will be restored because that's what we were made for. That's what we were created for in the beginning. This current state of affairs is not things as they were meant to be, as they ought to be, as they will be in Christ. We actually talk about the cross often as being the tree of life. Because as Christ dies upon the cross, it's transformed. That that which was actually the symbol of our end in this world, 
of that separation from God becomes the very point where we are restored to communion with him, where we're gathered back in. Christ is the true image of the Father. The one who calls us to that renewing of his image within us, that again we might be restored to what we were created to be. I was reading just yesterday, going through things with St. James back in 2 Corinthians 4, and the words that are there about this treasure that God has given us being poured into earthen vessels, into the, the frail human incarnate forms that we are. But it's that language of the treasure again. Well, what's the treasure? It's the knowledge of the glory of God shining in the face of Jesus Christ. It's that renewal within us of the kingdom of God. And so, in fact, Paul will go on in 2 Corinthians 5 to say, if anyone is in, new, is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And yet we know that the new that is there is what was in the beginning, what was the ancient truth being renewed, being restored in us. It's the treasure that's been made available for us to uncover, to discover as that treasure hidden in the field. It's there because of God's grace. It's there because of God's gift. Because though we have lost that treasure, he wants it to be restored to us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's there that there's another side to this whole business that we need to keep in mind. We think about the images of the kingdom, about us finding the kingdom as something that we have to search for and to find. We're reminded somewhere along the line that the fact that we're able to find it is a gift of God's grace. The treasure is hidden in the field, but it's the Lord who's hidden it there. The pearl comes into the merchant's hands, but it's God's gift that it comes to be there. The other side of the picture is to understand that when God looks at our lives, when he calls us to find that treasure that is beyond all price, that when he looks at us, he sees in us his treasure. He sees in us the pearls of great price for which he is prepared to give everything. The whole story of the gospel that's the heart of the kingdom is that Jesus has in fact put off all of his glory, gone the way of suffering and death upon the cross to pour out his lifeblood to say to us, you are my own and I love you. You are my precious treasure that I have found in the field and I will sell everything to possess that field that I might restore you to myself. You are that pearl of great price, which is worth everything that I have to give talked about things in the Old Testament before, that, that language that I love so much from the King James, the authorized version, that we're called to be a, a peculiar people. That's a word for Israel, but it comes to be reiterated in the New Testament. I said that other translations don't hold the word peculiar, but will use things like a people for his own possession, his treasured possession. Well, the word in Hebrew is segula, 
it's a, a term that meant something that was a, was a treasure that someone had that he was jealous over, such that he would lock it up in order to keep it safe and to hold on to it for his own. And God speaks that way about his people. It's reiterated in the New Testament, most poignantly and personally expressed in Jesus Christ, who comes to show us that, that living face of God to display in our flesh the very heart of the Father that loves us so much that he would gather us up to himself. Some of you are well acquainted with the opening of Isaiah 43. For any of you who have been tuning in recently to at least the first episode of that new gospel series, The Chosen, will recognize the words particularly and their power there. But now says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. They're words spoken to his ancient people and yet words that become incarnate in the incarnate word, even Jesus Christ, who speaks those in the most personal of ways. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that all that believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I like to turn people back to Luke 15, where Jesus opens up that heart. And there are other places, but there in particular, where he's challenged by the Pharisees. Why are you spending time with the sinners and the tax collectors, with the ones who are ungodly, the ones who aren't righteous, who don't seem to be concerned with God? And Jesus says, well, they're the lost ones. Those who are well don't need the doctor, but those who are sick. The father's heart bleeds for these, and he tells the parables of the lost sheep, the shepherd who will leave the 99 to take whatever risks may be required to go the distance to seek out that one that is lost, that it might be gathered up in his arms, laid on his shoulders, and brought home. And the rejoicing is extravagant. So there's more joy in heaven over one sinner that repents and over 99 righteous persons who had no need of repentance. Of the lost coin, the woman who has lost the one of ten, and all that those coins mean to her, likely of some kind of headdress or necklace that's connected with her wedding, it's incomplete without that one. And she turns the whole house upside down, and the Lord says to us, if I'm missing those lost ones, things are not whole. They're not as I made them to be. I will not rest until I have those lost ones found, that which is lost that would be saved. And of course, the, the lost son, the prodigal son, and the father whose heart breaks, and yet he will let his son go the way that he desires to go. Learn the lessons the hard way, but all the time watch and wait and pray. And when his son begins to stumble home, well, hike up his robes to run out, however undignified it might be for a man in his station. Because this son of mine who, he was lost, but now he's found. He was dead, but now he's alive again. This is my precious treasure. This is my pearl of great price. I would gladly give all in order to possess it, in order to bring my little ones home. In that love, we are 
restored. In that love, we are redeemed. In that love, we are gathered home. And he says, I have for you the treasure of my kingdom. It's my heart open before you. Let it be for you that treasure for which you would sell all to possess the field. That pearl of great price for which you would count nothing too much to let go. That you might have that. That your heart might be made whole in me. That is truth which is ancient and new from the beginning and at the ending of the story. It is the very heart of the kingdom, which is the heart of the king. But now thus says the Lord, he who created me, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. 